0: The following audio is from LaGrange Church of Christ, located in Texas. For more information about LaGrange Church of Christ, please visit our website at www.lagrangecoc.com. Grace and peace to you today. We're glad that you're here with us. Uh, We are in a study of the book of Hosea. and We're in Hosea chapter 3 this morning, so if you have your Bibles, you can be opening them there. Or if you don't have them, all the scriptures should be on the screen. As we think about Hosea chapter 3 and we reflect on that text, we want to begin by thinking about this question. What is love? We may think that love is love, but it's not. Sometimes people mean very different things by the word love. In our culture, we tend to overuse the word. We love our car. We love pizza. We love the movie that we watched last night. And at the same time, we love our spouse. We love our children. We love our friends. And so we use the word love for all kinds of different things. The problem is that we don't love pizza the same way that we love our kids. At least I hope not. It's not the same kind of love. And I think most of us recognize this. We don't confuse the love we have for our favorite food with the love that we have for our spouse. We understand there is a difference. And yet love still can mean many different things. How someone defines love in the 21st century in America is likely to be different than how someone would have defined love in first century Palestine. Our idea of love does not always match with what the Bible says about love. And if we were to ask someone in our culture what love is, their answer would likely be shaped by experience, entertainment, and the media. Their definition of love might have more in common with Nicholas Sparks or the Kardashians than with Scripture. Scripture. And so we need to understand that we are always being molded and shaped by something. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, the apostle Paul writes, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul says that we can be shaped by the world, or we can be transformed by the renewal of our mind. That is, we can be shaped by God's Word and by His Holy Spirit. Being a Christian means we give up one understanding for another. It means we go from seeing things in a worldly way to seeing them in a Christian way. We have grown up with one approach. But now we trade that in and exchange it for a Jesus approach. And this is what we need to do with love. What is love? Well, let's begin with the worldly answer to this question. And In order to do this, we need to think about culture. You know, I'm fascinated by culture. And our purpose as Christians is not to war against culture. I know that some Christians think that that is their purpose. Uh, But instead, what we're to do is we are to engage culture in a meaningful way... And where culture goes off track, and it does, we are to seek to redeem it. We are to be culture makers. We are to make the world a better place. We are to show this world the beauty of Christianity, the beauty of Jesus. And in order to do this, we need to think deeply about the messages and stories that culture is promoting Now, I'll use the example of film because that's what I know best. And I think Christians often look at movies in one way. We view a film as good or bad based on the content of the film. If it has too many cuss words, then it's bad. If it has just a few, then it's okay. Certainly, we need to be aware of the content of a film. We need to know what we are seeing, and especially what our children are seeing. But there is much more to a film than its content. We need to be asking questions like, what is the message of this film? How will this film shape my understanding of the world? All movies are stories. And this is important to understand because we are shaped by stories more than anything else. We are shaped by the family stories we hear growing up. We are shaped by stories of our history. We are shaped by stories we find in the Bible. And we are shaped by the stories that we encounter in movies. Sometimes a medium like film will have more influence over our lives than history or scripture. Why? Because we watch more movies then we read history or read our Bibles. You can say that's not right all you want, but it's a fact of life for most people. And for the last 20 years or so, film has provided us with some narratives about love that are not very helpful. In fact, if you take these narratives seriously, they are setting you up for failure. And the narrative that many recent films, TV shows, and books would have you believe is that we all have one soulmate. And you need to find that soulmate in order to be happy. Modern love is about our happiness. It is about us. It is about what we want and what we desire. There have been multiple movies, TV shows, where a couple is married but one of the spouses is unhappy for whatever reason. And this spouse then meets someone who is their soulmate. They fall in love. The spouse divorces the the person they're married to and is now free to be with a new person. This story is retold over and over again. This was the premise of the 2011 film, The Artist, a movie that won Best Picture that year. These films may not have had any bad language. In fact, the artists did not. But they are spreading a dangerous message. Love is defined by whatever makes a person happy. It doesn't matter if you hurt others along the way. It doesn't matter if it's not right. Just do what makes you feel good. And this is how our modern society defines love. And if you speak against it, then you are narrow-minded. Our modern society says, love whoever you want to. Love someone you're not married to. Love a person of the same sex. Let your feelings guide you. And this is a very selfish type of love. But it's how many people think of love today. The Bible presents a different definition of love. Things like feelings and attraction are important. And if you're looking for a spouse, then these are things you should consider. However, the Bible wants us to go deeper. The heart of biblical love is not ourselves. The heart of biblical love is others. Biblical love is about sacrifice. It's about what we do for others. It's about what we give and not what we get. This is radically different from the modern idea of love. And because the focus of love is not ourselves but others, it is possible to love people that we normally would not love. And so this is why the Bible commands us to love our enemies. We are to pray for those who persecute us. We are to do good to people who are not good to us. We love because love is what changes the world. It melts people's hearts. Love is what happened on the cross. Jesus gave his life. He made the ultimate sacrifice because he loved us. He forgave the very people who were putting him to death. There was not one ounce of selfishness in Jesus. It was all about others. Biblical love is also different when it comes to marriage. At the heart of marriage is this idea of covenant. When two people get married, they make a covenant between each other in the presence of God. And this covenant means something it is not to be taken lightly, it is not to be disregarded. When you marry someone, you are binding yourself to that person. The two flesh become one. And this means you're together through thick and thin. Marriage is a blessing with many benefits. But it's also a great commitment. On the days that we're just not feeling it, we honor our covenant and we stay married. It is a love that is deeper than our feelings. It acknowledges our wants and desires, but it goes beyond these things. We love even when our spouse has a bad day. We love even when our spouse gets sick and they cannot take care of themselves. We love when times are good and we love when times are bad. And this is the type of love that we encounter in Hosea chapter 3. God is love. God is patient and long-suffering. God is ready to forgive. God is the ultimate covenant keeper. And we say these things all the time. We, we, We talk about them. But what does this really look like? Well... Hosea shows us what it looks like. And so I want us to read that chapter together. Hosea chapter 3. It's a very short chapter, only five verses. And it says, And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man, and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for fifteen shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore belong to another man, so will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward." The children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. How deep is God's love? So deep that he binds himself to adulterous Israel and will not stop loving them. The story of Hosea is the story of God's love. It is the story of how far God is willing to go. Now chapter 3 is the end of the the narrative section, the the story part of Hosea. The chapters that follow are oracles. It is Hosea preaching to the people. If chapters 1 and 2 were not shocking enough, we learn in chapter 3 that God goes even further. And so you'll remember that the prophet Hosea was commissioned to go and to marry a prostitute and to have children with her. And he did this. He married a woman who would never be faithful to him. And he had three children. The first child's name was Jezreel because God was going to put an end to the kingdom of Israel. The second child's name was No Mercy because God was no longer going to have mercy on Israel. The third child's name was Not My People... Because Israel was no longer going to be God's people. Now, these judgments were not surprising. This is what Israel deserved. They were disobedient, they had gone after other gods. They were worshiping pagan deities and much worse. They deserved to be cut off from all of God's blessings. This is what the law said. But God is gracious and he changes his mind and he says to no mercy, mercy and he says to not my people, you are my people. He does this in chapter one, he says it again in chapter two. This is the character of God. He does not treat us as we deserve. He treats us better. He grants us grace when we don't deserve grace. He shows us mercy when we don't deserve mercy. Our God is good. We see how God changes the names of Hosea's children. They were given names to remind everyone of God's judgment. But instead, these names become symbols of God's grace. Now, in chapter 3, we learn even more about the character of God. We learn about his long-suffering and his commitment. After Hosea married Gomer, who was a prostitute, she did not quit her night job. She kept on prostituting herself out, even though she was now married to Hosea. And while Hosea is at home raising his children, Gomer has gone out to do whatever she wants. But we all know that so-called ultimate freedom leads to slavery. It begins as partying every night. It begins as experimenting with drugs. It begins as I want to do it my way. But then it turns into a downward spiral that a person is unable to escape from. And this happens over and over again. It happens today. People are enslaved, sometimes figuratively, but sometimes literally. Many of the women who end up in the pornography industry are there because they have a drug habit that someone exploited. They wanted something, and someone was able to take advantage of them, and now they are trapped, they are abused. What do we do in those situations? What do we say? Perhaps we say, well, you know, they got themselves into it. They can get themselves out. That is a popular sentiment among many people. But it's not a Christian sentiment. It's not what God would do. We know what God would do. We find it here in Hosea. He tells the prophet to go and find his wife and buy her back. She made the poor choices. She got herself into the situation. She committed adultery even though she was married. She was in the wrong. But God had Hosea to go after her and to buy her out of slavery. This is the God we serve. He never gives up on us. The prodigal son gets himself in all kinds of trouble. He spends all of his inheritance. He lives a lavish life until all the money runs out. And then he finds himself working in a feedlot and eating pig slop. And even though he was rude to his father, even though he was unkind and ungrateful and disrespectful, It is his father who meets him with open arms when he returns home. And he kills the fatted calf. And he gives him a new robe and a new ring. And he celebrates that his son has returned. What we have in Hosea 3 is a wonderful story about the love of God. It's a story about how much we are loved. It's also a story about how we are to love in return. We are to be like God. We are to keep on loving people even when they mess up or even when they get it wrong. Too often in the church, we've wanted to give up on people. Someone gets involved in something they shouldn't be, and we turn our backs. We don't want them here on Sunday morning because they've been hanging out in all the wrong places. We want to keep our distance. But God never keeps his distance. He binds himself to an adulterous people. Jesus eats with sinners. He eats with prostitutes. He eats with tax collectors. God pursues us wherever we go. And he never gives up on us. Of course, this story in Hosea... Foreshadows another story. And it's a story about you and me. It's a story that many of us may not want to remember all the details because we were once slaves. We traveled to the wrong side of the tracks, we were the enemies of God. Sin had a hold of us, and we belonged to the devil. But God did the most amazing thing. He left heaven and came to this earth. He came after us. He pursued us. He left his magnificent home and came to where we live because he loves us. But that's not it. God had to pay a price. He had to buy us back. He had to pay a ransom. And the price was not cheap. It came at a high cost. In order to purchase our freedom, God went to the cross. He laid down his life for you and for me. He experienced death so that we might be set free. And so the question for all of us this morning is this. What are we going to do With our freedom? Are we going to abuse it and end up enslaved to the same master that owned us before? Or are we going to give ourselves completely to God and follow in the footsteps of Jesus? We have two choices. What will you choose? Let's pray. Oh, gracious and merciful Father, we come into your presence at this time and we are amazed once again of your holy word. The story that we find here in the book of Hosea overwhelms us. We read of your love. And we know that there is no other love like this in the world. We know that if we want to know anything about love, we must simply look to you. We're mystified sometimes of the things that you have done, we don't understand it all. But we're so, so grateful. And Father, we know that we don't deserve this love. We know that we have messed up. That we have been disobedient. That we have not always followed your ways. And even sometimes we've turned our back on you. But you've always been there. You've always been faithful to us. And so, Father, we want to meditate on your love today and in the coming days and weeks. May we understand it more and may we respond by completely giving ourselves to you. And not only that, Father, we want to imitate this love in our own lives. We want to to love the unlovable. We want to love people in our own communities, in our own homes, in our own churches. Help us do this, Father. Help us to spread your love throughout this world. We're so thankful for Jesus and His sacrifice and the love that He showed on the cross. We pray this in His name. Amen.